Um, we are in a series called With Feet on the Ground. This is the, uh, the self-identified best friend of Jesus, John, the Apostle John, who's writing a letter to a church in Ephesus. And his thing is, uh, you, you guys have got a love problem, but it's not just a love problem that you have. In fact, your problem is actually not with love, it's with Jesus. If you, had, if you got Jesus right, it would actually impact the way that you're loving one another. And the reason you're, the way that you're loving one another is so messed up is because you've got him wrong. So, so he, he opens up his letter with, with a foundation of love. That our definition, our understanding of what love looks like is Jesus. That, that it's actually the fact that he, that God became man. There was distance and he met the distance. The fact that God became man. That Jesus was actually the physical, literal God became man. That he actually engaged the topography of our life. That he entered into our world and, and, he, and he walked amongst us. But he didn't stop there. That our, our foundation of love is the fact that it wasn't just the presence of Jesus. I mean, you could be present with someone, that's awesome. But if you don't do anything, you've got an empty relationship. Jesus actually did the, the most defining aspect of love, which is the sacrificial act of giving up his own life. That he gave up his own life for not his friends, but his enemies. And, and all of a sudden, we see the foundation of our love being the incarnation, the cross, and then the foundation of love being the fact that God orchestrated this thing called the church together of people who are so radically different from one another, who look different, who vote different, who have different kinds of baggage, different kinds of hopes and dreams. And, he's, and, and the, what shouldn't work anywhere fuses together and works in the church because the church has one thing in common, their need for Jesus. Every single person in the room, actually the, the entry level admittance is the, the ticket at the front door is the fact that I realize that I'm broken that I'm not whole on my own, that I'm not good enough, but that I need Christ. And so, so he gets into this. And as, as we go from the foundation of the foundation of love, and we spent three weeks talking about the foundation of, we're going to actually now talk, spend a couple weeks on why do we stink at it then? Why do I stink at love? Why is it that in spite of the fact that I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, why do I personally stink at love? And, and, and John, in the next verses, between verses 5 through 9, um, lays that out. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, leave them where they're at. You're not going to need them for right now because we're going to go through the observations that John lays out in the first couple verses, starting in verse 5, that we live in a world of darkness. We live in a world of darkness. I don't need to tell you that. I don't need to inform you of that. If that's all that I said, you'd walk out of here saying, that is obvious. This world is dark if you don't believe that it's dark, all you have to do is turn on the television, open up your phone, read a thread, go to work, show up to a family gathering, or sit in the silence of an empty room and listen to your thoughts. This world that we live in is, in fact, full of darkness. That's a given. But what John communicates is that that's not the end of the story. That in spite of the fact that we live in a world of darkness, that God is not full of light. God is light. The Gnostics, they, they love the, 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 the mystical and ethereal things of, of God is like logic. And, and John says, no, he's not like logic. He's not a philosophy or an idea. I walked with this guy. I ate with this guy. I cried with this guy. He was a human being and he was all God. He's not just spirit and, and that's it. He was spirit and God simultaneously. Spirit, God, and man simultaneously. And so what John says is this, that God is in fact light. 
He starts off in verse 5 by saying this. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. In the midst of a world that is completely dark. In the midst of, of a family that can sometimes be totally dark. In the midst of a situation or a season of life that is dark. Or, or a, a, a national condition, dark. Your, your work situation, dark. In the midst of the darkness, of all the darkness that's out there, we realize that, that what John is communicating is this. In the midst of that darkness, there's light. And that light is not just an idea. According to John, that light is a person. But that's not all that, that he was communicating. Not only that, he was saying that we sabotage ourselves when we say that we're with him and yet have a casual relationship with sin. We sabotage ourselves when we're saying that we're with him and have a casual relationship with sin. He says this, if we claim to have fellowship with him, and again, that word fellowship is that word koinonia. It's not just like we're, we're present with him or in the same room with him or even having a meal with him. Koinonia is that synergistic dynamic relationship that, that once you're with that person, it's a bond and it has effect in life. And so it's not just empty. It actually leads someplace. And he's saying, if you got that with Jesus, if you're saying that you got that with Jesus, no, Jesus and I, I am with him. I'm following him. He has, he has forgiven my sins. If that's true, then what ends up happening is that we have a change in life. However, if we claim to have koinonia with him, that dynamic synergistic relationship with him, with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If you are in a relationship and on, on one surface, someone is saying to you, listen, we are tight. I'm all about you. You are the only one for me. And then you turn around and that person is living everything opposite of that. You would say, this is not truth. You're, you're lying. You're delusional. And John is saying, that's not just someone else's problem. It is all of our problems. And specifically with the people he's writing. The Gnostics had this idea that, listen, I've got, as long as I'm saying the right stuff, I believe the right stuff, God is God. Jesus is God. I believe the right stuff. It doesn't matter how I treat other people. My actions, I mean, in, my, in this body, if I want to do something that's sketchy with this body, so what? I mean, because it's just, I'm, bodies are human. Bodies are prone to do evil stuff. So it happens, right? I believe in the right stuff. That's all that matters. And John says, you're delusional. You are delusional if you believe that if this is good and this is bad, that that's not a problem. This leads to that. If this is off and you're cool with that, this isn't right in your heart. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. We sabotage ourselves when we say that we're with him and yet have a casual relationship with sin. So he's communicating, look, there's darkness, but in the midst of the darkness, God is light. And if we say that we're a part of the light and yet we're living in the darkness and we're cool with that, then we're lying and we're deluding ourselves. The third thing he says is that walking in the light is the only authentic way that we can actually walk with each other. Reason being is that verse 7 says this, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we have koinonia with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is where John starts to paint a picture of, of our hope and our way out of this situation. What he's saying is this. If we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, he doesn't say if you follow Jesus, if you're walking in the light like Jesus is in the light, you're going to have a great relationship with God. He doesn't say that. If you walk in the light, you're going to be a more spiritual person. He doesn't say that. He says if you are following Jesus' life like a pattern, 
you're going to have a better relationship with one another. And he anchors it in the fact that the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And here's why that happens. Number one, if your destiny and your heart and your own central compass or your morality, whatever it is personal to you, is your guiding force, then what's going to happen is because it's inherently, you're only doing what you think is right in the moment. You're going to end up making damaging mistakes with with the relationships you have with other people. And you're not going to be wrong in the fact that you are trying to do perhaps even the right thing to you, the right thing that felt right in the moment. But there's so many things that feel right or make, make sense in the moment that if I am the guide, if my heart is the compass, I'm going to go off the grid and damage people. If I'm walking in the light, if Jesus is my example, if he's my compass and it's not just what Errol feels like, all of a sudden something starts to happen with my relationships with other people. First off, I'm inflicting less damage. Everyone in this room has damaged someone and everyone in this room has been damaged. We've been victimized by people and we've been victims. What John is saying is that if we actually, as followers of Jesus say, I am no longer the center of my will. I am no longer the center of my direction. I'm no longer the center of my trajectory, but I'm trading that out with Christ. If I walk in the light, then I'm actually going to have less damage done and better relationship with other people. I'm going to be doing less damage to them. But secondly, I'm actually going to have a better relationship with them as well. Because again, this is rooted in the blood of Jesus, his son. And it's that which purifies me. Which means when I look at other people, because a lot of you are really nice people. You are. Maybe no one has told you that today. But you are. You're super nice. And most of you aren't intentionally going through life inflicting damage on other people. But we do it a lot of the time silently. We inflict a lot of damage on people silently with looks, with thoughts, with private conversations behind closed door about other people. When we all of a sudden step into a place of judgmentalism, when we're judgmental towards other people, what we're simply doing is looking at wherever they're at and seeing that we're better than that, and we feel good about that. I'm not, I, I could just show a hands. How, how many of you have been judgmental and it feels really good? I can't see any of your hands, so I'm, I'm guessing every hand is up. Because that's all of you. Every single one of us. We always feel better. We're like, can you believe that, family? Hello? Whenever I've, I've thought that or even said that, I always think, I wonder what they think of my family. <laughs> Those morons, McFadden's, whoa. The thing is that all of us, we have this human tendency to be looking down. If your life is rooted on you and what you've accomplished, if you're winning right now, oh man, it's so easy to look down on other people. However, if you realize that anything good in your life is the gift and grace of Christ, that your very salvation is a gift and grace of Christ, you no longer look down on anybody. Now, if it's just you, if Jesus is off the mat, then yeah, you've got every right to look down on people when you're winning. The problem is that you're going to come to a point of losing. And then where will you be? The gospel informs us that winning or losing, it's a gift from God. That when we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Keller put it this way. It is not the good people who are in and the bad people who are out. It's not the good people who are in and the bad people who are out. Everyone is in only. Everyone is in only by the grace of Jesus Christ. It is only what Jesus has done for you that can give you a standing before God. Now that might sound good and Christian and spiritual, 
And that may not be you. You may not be a believer and you may not be on the map spiritually. You're here again because someone promised you lunch. But think about that. Process that intellectually. If the world is built and based around your compass as far as what's moral and right and wrong, then you are going to be going right and left, choosing what's right and wrong to you in the time. And secondly, you're going to be a far more judgmental person because a person's standard is all their choice. A person's condition is their own doing. How can you not be in judgment over them? However, if Christ is our definition of love, the center of our world, then I have a better pattern of living than what I want to do. It's his. And not only do I have a better pattern of living, but I have a different way of looking at people. Why are Christians more judgmental or at least get, get tagged as more judgmental? Because they're listening to Satan. And they're believing a prideful realities about themselves that are off the grid. John is saying, however, as far as a believer is concerned, there's a game changer when we are following Jesus as the one who is our guiding point. So the world is full of darkness, but God is light. We sabotage ourselves when we say that we're with him and yet we have a casual relationship with sin. And walking in the light is the only way, authentic way, that we can walk with each other. This is where John all of a sudden pivots and starts to go, okay, so here's the recipe. You want that? Is, is that something that you can recognize that's palpable? That, that you, want, you want to actually step into the life that's not just going your own way, but actually following him as the light? Well, here's how you do it. He, he gets into the next verse. And, and the, the big overarching um, umbrella statement that he's basically saying in this passage is this. Every day, this is my words, not John's, but every day as one forgiven by Christ, we can wake up bound and determined all right, pause. Some of you wake up bound and determined. Some of you barely wake up. Right now, you, some of you are five minutes away from waking up. But some of us, we wake up, and I'm not saying me, but some people in this room, you wake up and you're like, I'm ready to go. Coffee, I'm ready to go. Gym, I'm ready to go. Work, school, I'm ready to go. Other people, it's just like, eh. And you're getting there. But this is what John is saying. Regardless of how you emerge from your bed before shower, coffee, whatever, you have a reality check that you can have. And the reality check that you can have is this. You can wake up bound and determined to do this, to run further away from who you were in the dark. Not further away from you. Not like you can live in more denial of your, of your deepest longings and needs. No. You can actually recognize, every one of us can wake up recognizing that today I can run away from the person that is the poser version of myself, the saboteur of my, of, of my greatest desires, which is our found in Christ. That person I can run further away from today. Um, some of you uh, are the type of people that like to prank other people. Some of you are the type of people who like to jump out and scare other people. If you ever do that to me, I guarantee you I will jump because I've got McFadden, I've got a McFadden central nervous system, which makes me like springy and it, I will, yeah, like that. I'm the guy that if I think that there's a spider on my back, I will like do that like dance that people do when they think that there's an insect. What happens is the adrenal glands go into full force and all of a sudden you start sprinting. You need to get away. If someone jumps out, you're, you're across the room. If someone scares you, you're freaking out. Why? Because everything in your brain is saying, that thing is something to be afraid of, and it could kill you. And what you need to do is to get as far away from that as possible right now. 
Many of us in our lives have identified things that we are terrified of. People having a low opinion of you. Our family crumbling. Rejection, betrayal, heartache, conflict. You want to know what the single greatest threat to you is? The single greatest threat to you is not Russia. The single greatest threat to you is not a corrupt government. The single greatest threat to you is not public opinion going south about you and your friends not liking you anymore. The single greatest threat to you is not someone putting a gun to your head. The single greatest threat to you in this life is the person you used to be because you can't outrun them. You can't escape them. And until your dying day, they will be following you. John's admonition is you want to change your life? Recognize that you can wake up every single day bound and determined to run further away from that guy, the person that did those things, a person that thought that way. You know the outcome. You know the fruit of that. You can spend every day running further away from that person who you were in the dark and run towards the truest you. Not towards somebody else, not towards the person that that I want you to be as your pastor, not the person that your spouse wants you to be or your boyfriend or girlfriend or parent wants you to be, but the truest version of you who God wants you to be. That is the truest you. That is the most fulfilled and joy-filled over the course of time, you. And you could spend each day running towards that person in the light. And he he spells out how. First off, we do this. This is the first step. By agreeing with God that my darkness has sabotaged my life. He says in verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So John is saying this. He's not not dealing with the people who've have done, uh, in this church that have done this heinous sin. He's dealing with the people who, again, think that, look, it's okay for me to to, to say that basically I'm not really that bad of a guy. I'm not as bad as that sinner over there. I mean, I'm not doing what they're doing. And he's saying, you're missing the point. The first step to walking in the light is acknowledging the fact that I am broken by sin. This isn't, this isn't just like a slight thing. I have to be honest about this. Because what I end up doing is saying, you know what? There's a lot of darkness in this world and there's a lot of darkness in my past, but it doesn't exist today. The truth is, is that there's a lot of darkness in my heart now. And as we go through our life with Jesus, oftentimes we surrender a lot to him, but not everything. We hold on to one pocket. Agree with God that there's darkness and it's sabotaged my life. Here's just a spoiler of what I want to get to by the end of this sermon. There's a lot of us in this room that are having a hard time with number one. All of us do at some point. All of us do to some degree. But the reason we have a hard time with number one is this. Yeah, but what I did back then is too big. And as I'm thinking about the darkness that's, that's in my world, it's not something that's happening. It's something that happened, and it's haunting me. And I believe that Jesus forgives my sin. But why can't I shake this? For others in, a, in this room... The, the, the thing that's the most, the greatest fear is that it's, something's going to happen down the road. What if I do something so gri- grievous, something so bad? What if I mess up so big? Will God kick me to the curb? And some of us, 
to be completely honest, right now, it's not the past, it's not the future. Right now, even as you came in this room, for the past couple of weeks, you've been contemplating a decision that's going to take you deeper into the darkness. For some of you, it might be like, that's going to start today. I'm going to make this decision of taking this step deeper into this dark area of my life, and it's going to happen today. John says if we actually step out of that and step into the reality that Christ has called us to, we can do that by agreeing that darkness has sabotaged my life. My best motives are poisoned and intoxicated by self-centeredness. The best moments of my life, it feels like every gathering that has got a potential of good breaks down into bad. The darkness, and so I'm going to be starting off by saying I can be honest about that. One of my favorite stories is of... um, a band um, by the name of Nine Inch Nails. Um, some of you guys are Nine Inch Nails fans. Uh, Nine Inch Nails um, was a band that they kind of came into their heyday in the 90s, maybe a little bit of the early 2000s. They're still doing stuff, which is always kind of weird when bands get old. But, but back then, um, they were in their prime. And, and the music is heavy industrial, like just really heavy music. Um, not only in con- in, in, as far as the, the content of the, the, the music, but also the content of the words and lyrics that are written um, Trent Reznor is the, the, lead, um, the lead individual, and he had uh, already in his own personal life come to the point of rejecting God and rejecting Christ and didn't see the need for it and walked away, and, and, and the music reflected that. I mean, he, he was, and one of the things about Nine Inch Nails' music is that as, as intricate as it's talking about addiction or intricate as it's talking about um, the, the, a life apart from God, he's incredibly honest and the, and and the music is pounding and hard and, and but but it's incredibly honest stuff, and then all of a sudden, a person at the end of his career, not in the heyday like Nine Inch Nails was, but in the, at the end of their career, Johnny Cash decided to cover one of their songs. He wanted to cover their song, and Trent Reznor was not a fan of this. He hated the idea. He hated the idea of this old, washed-up has been covering something that was relevant and pertinent in the time. That, that this guy was so old and, and lacking creativity that he had to rip off one of their songs. And so he was going to refuse the opportunity for Johnny Cash to cover a Nine Inch Nails song. But Johnny Cash did what Johnny Cash does. He did it anyway. <laughs> but he stripped down the song. So it's just a, an acoustic guitar in him. And he sings out the words that Trent Reznor wrote. And then he produced a video. And then he sent the video to Trent Reznor while Nine Inch Nails was on tour. And Trent Reznor sits in his trailer and puts in the video as he and the band watches the blasphemy of taking one of the Nine Inch Nails songs that he had written, heavy, intense, was covered by this has been washed up and was waiting to be judgmental over what he was about to see. This is the video that was sent to Trent Reznor. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears the hole 
the old familiar stain Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all My empire of dirt Trent sits there watching the video and then buries his face in his hands as he starts to bawl his eyes out. Why? Because he sees in this has-been, end of his career, end of his life, musician, celebrity, who had experienced everything that Trent was experiencing and then some come to the end, and in his own words, surface the regret, the recognition of the fact that the darkness did not lead to deeper happiness or deeper self-awareness, but led to deeper carnage and pain. And the thing that I love about the video that, that Cash did was that he made sure to splice in a reality 
that he experienced after the fact. The reality is, is that he came to a point where Johnny Cash, he realized that his darkness had sabotaged his life. And then he came to a point of agreeing with God that that was not only a sabotage, but that Jesus was the only answer. And splicing in to the end of this video to a guy who did not believe, all of a sudden Trent is watching as Cash came to a point of recognition of something that even in the original lyrics said, if I could go back again, I would try. And if I could go back again, I, I would, this is something that would be a difference. See, because each one of us, we can agree with God that darkness has sabotaged our life. And like Cash, we can actually follow that up by asking Christ to remove the darkness from me and restore his light. One of the things that's so beautiful in Scripture is that we see throughout the Old Testament, light is something that's constantly cast towards God. Um, you, you've got, when, when God was uh, communicating to Moses, it was in a bush that was on fire producing light. When, when the Hebrews were wandering through the wilderness, God let them know where to go when this cloud would move. That's, that's when they would know they would go. If it stopped, that's where they would stop. And not only would they stop there, but at night there'd be a pillar of fire. Why? To let them know that in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the situation, in the midst of the context of what's going on right now, in the midst of all of this, I'm still here and I haven't, let you, I haven't left you. In, in, a, in a world that feels like the predators are right on the outside coming in, this reminds you that I'm here. The psalmist said that God wraps light around himself like a garment. That, that when he walks into the room, it's illuminating. When we get to the book of Matthew, Matthew just cites the prophet Isaiah by saying that the Messiah, the Messiah was going to be someone who's going to bring light and light to everyone in the world. John starts off his gospel by saying that Jesus is the light, that he is the light of life, and that, in fact, his light has come to every person in the world, and he's coming to yours. I don't know your situation. I don't know your context. I don't know the darkness that you've been comfortable in your life right now, but he does. And Jesus said that he did not come into this world to judge you, but to seek and save the lost that your opportunity is to actually be honest with the darkness and then ask Christ to remove it, remove the darkness in you and restore his light. Many of you are sitting comfortably in the darkness of your world because you've been hurt by someone so grievously that you are content to hold on to the darkness because it feels justified because of everything that's happened to you. Jesus liberates that and says, be honest about your darkness. Let them deal between them and God. One of the things that's, that's amazing is that, again, we get to walk away from being a judgmental person because we realize how much we've been forgiven. And when we come back to God, we're asking him to remove the darkness inside of us. I love that verse. If we can, listen to verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. As I was studying that this week, I, I thought that that was so amazing because of this phrase. Because all of us have been lied to in this room, every single one of us, and we can act like we're going to, like we can depend on the person we vote for, even though we know that's not true. We can act like we can depend on the person that, um, that we uh, work for, even though that that's not always the case. And we can act like we can depend on the people that are closest to us, our family or a loved one, boyfriend or girlfriend, spouse. But we know that every single human being will let us down. John is saying that is true for everyone but one. It's not true for God. And he says this, he lays out a promise that you can actually believe. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will, 
and will forgive us our sins. Not 75% chance, not possibly, not if you end up being a good person, not if you never sin again. If you confess your sins to him, he is faithful and just, and he doesn't have to, but he will. He will forgive you his sins. And then the beauty is that, that if that's true, all of a sudden it gives us our final step. If that's the reality, that my sins are forgiven, I can three, approach each day's decisions as one who's no longer branded by past dark decisions. If he has in fact removed the guilt and between God and me, this is good, then that actually leads to a deeper sense of this. I can actually step out as one not branded by the way that I've damaged people, damaged myself, but I can instead say, no, because of what he's done, I can walk with a new identity and a new def definition over me. And it's, and it's defined and branded by his work. When God sees you, if you've confessed your sins, he no longer sees the sin. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And Jesus is holy and righteous. And he sees you restored. This is something that is so important because again, no matter where you're at right now, as Christians, John is saying, we need to keep coming back to this light. The fact that the world will constantly get dark. Things are going great right now. That's wonderful, praise God. But it's going to come to a point of darkness, either by your hand or someone else. In the midst of the darkness, we have the light. We have Jesus. Amen? Now here's, here's the thing that, that's important about that. Our position then as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to say, let this be my light. Let this be my reality. Let this not be something that I'm in the same pattern of what these people were doing, where this was okay. I go to Manuka Bible Church, I believe the right stuff. It doesn't matter how I talk to my family. I go to Manuka Bible Church, I believe the right things. It doesn't matter my position on pornography. I go to Manuka Bible Church, I, do, I believe the right things. It doesn't matter what I do towards my spouse or my kids or my boyfriend or girlfriend or my relationship. I believe the right things. It doesn't matter how I talk to my parents or think about my enemies. I go to Manuka Bible Church. I believe the right things. It doesn't matter how I can actually think about myself more than other people. If this is correct and I have been forgiven, then I have a new lease on life to step into everything else that's dark in my world and say, Lord, let me live by your light. Let your light be my definition. Come into my life and make this happen. I'm going to have the, the worship team come back out, and we're going to have um, a song. And then after that song, we're going to have a final song where we're going to get a chance to stand and sing. And during that, that final song, I want to encourage you to, to come forward. And one, one of the things that, that, that whenever we're struggling with or grappling with this, we have to realize that this stretches us. And then the thing that, that Jesus said uh, when he was teaching his disciples and even some of the people who were skeptical of him, they were super agnostic about him being the, the, the Messiah. He said, you know what? This is like putting new wine into old wineskins. If you receive the new wine that I'm giving you with an old heart, trying to process it through your old perspective, it's too brittle. That wine ferments and it expands. And with an old wineskin, it will shatter. In order to receive the new wine of what I'm giving you, you have to have new wineskins. You have to have a new heart. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've, you've been super, super, like, just distant from this. 
Maybe you, you've been asking questions, you've been getting closer to this whole idea of surrendering your life to Jesus. But it's always been at arm's distance because you're afraid. This Jesus is the one who receives us back. He brings us back and he gives us the opportunity to follow his lead. You will walk in a world of darkness from here to your dying day, but you will not walk in the darkness without the light if you're in Christ. Surrender. Follow his lead. Allow the new wine of what he has to offer come in. During the last song, the last song is come to the altar. We're gonna have different people on the corners here, up front, maybe on the sides that are simply gonna be there for, for you if you would like to pray. If you have, if you realize that there's darkness currently right now that you just need to deal with, the scripture says that we confess those to God straight to him. We don't need an inner, we don't need someone, a pastor, a priest to, to pray to God for us. We can go straight to him. But it also says there's healing. We get to pray alongside another brother or sister. So if that's something that you want to do, I want to encourage you to walk on over and pray with one of them. Or even if it's something, there's a past sin or past darkness that you know he's forgiven, but it's hard for you to actually flesh out and realize the truth of what he says, that he will purify you from all sins. That word purify is katharizo, which means it's not just removing a stain. It's realizing that the cancer of sin grows. And the work of Jesus didn't simply forgive you. It removed the cancer so that you don't have to go through the ongoing effects of that past sin. I want to challenge you during that second song to go and find one of the people up here to spend a few moments in prayer as we close the service. But right now, spend some time in contemplation. Do some business with God as you hear this song.